0: Hello and welcome to the Wood Floor Podcast, a podcast for flooring professionals, contractors, retailers and anyone that's connected to the flooring industry. We deep dive into the lives of flooring professionals, new and old, contractors, meeting the big boss and also experiences we found that may be valuable to you as a listener.
1: On this week's show we have Nick Gilbert from Atelier B in the heart of Cheshire, Nick has a small shop, but focuses on the high-end residential, working directly with architects and interior designers. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Please don't forget to subscribe. Welcome onto the podcast, Nick. Uh, It's great to have you. First of all, I wanted to start with who is Nick from Atelier B? Big question.
2: (laughs) It's a big question. (laughs) Uh, So... I am someone who decided to set up a flooring showroom. Uh, yeah. I've owned a flooring showroom now for, in one way or form, for probably like the last 15, 16 years. Okay. Uh, I Prior to that, I worked for Amtico. Yeah. So obviously there was a sort of logical progression there, should we say? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as I say, I think I'm someone that just wants to offer something a little bit different hopefully not like a normal run-of-the-mill flooring showroom i've been quite quite specific with what you know the products etc and how i go about everything and yeah that's kind of in a nutshell where
1: i am so so what makes your showroom different to anyone else's because i know in your neck of the woods in cheshire there is many different flooring shops that, you know, within probably, let's say, even a 20-mile radius, there's, there's the big chain stores, there's the privately owned ones. What makes yours different um, to what's available in your eyes? I,
2: I, I think it's something to do with, basically, what I've tried to do is have products of a certain standard in here. And that's no disrespect to other people's products or anything like that. But I've tried to, my, my sort of main target market is the interior designer, specifier, architect market, that kind of route. Whereas I don't do too much business with you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith that kind of walk in from the street. Okay. And that's not to say I don't do it, but it's not necessarily who I target
1: okay yeah so you're still people can still walk in choose a floor of course
2: they can yeah Yeah. of course they can no problem at all i think it's like you say i think i think the products that i've gone for within the showroom are very much bespoke Okay. and i know that's kind of a word that a lot of people you know band around etc but it's a case of having products that aren't restricted by anything so if a designer wants a plank that's 17 mil thick as opposed to 20 mil thick it's all possible we can do kind of whatever they want and i think that's what hopefully makes me a little bit different when you're going for the sort of market that i'm targeting
1: yeah and and how if you don't mind me asking how do you how do you target that market you know because the the standard former see is someone thinks, right, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to open a shop and all the customers are going to come and spend lots of money with me. And you sit in a shop and you wait for someone to turn up aesthetically, you know, you drive adverts to a website or whatever you do and word of mouth and people come and have a look, but I mean, do architects go out on their lunchtime and go shopping for a floor or how, how does that look in a more of a commercial way, you know, how do you entice them to come and have a brew, you know, at your shop?
2: I think a lot of it's sort of hard work from my point of view. Obviously, you know, you sort of set up these sort of places with the idea that as soon as you open on day one, there's going to be a queue outside your door. Well, obviously it doesn't happen like that. I think it's something that it's taken a long time to get to this point. There is still designers and architects that I'm trying to get in with and haven't necessarily been given the opportunity for whatever reason yet uh but i think my main sort of route to market that works for me has been instagram right uh i think we do a lot of work on that obviously i think i started off doing you know putting posts on whether it be twitter or facebook or everything like that and they just didn't work for me Uh, facebook it was you know it was your friends and family liking posts etc and you know as well as I do, it sounds awful, but you kind of don't necessarily always want those as customers because they're the ones that want a deal and everything's got to be perfect and it's probably more stress than dealing with a different sort of customer. But I find that works really well. Uh, I've tried to make the showroom, as ridiculous as this sounds, not look like a flooring showroom uh i think yeah. when we first sort of set up you know i had a, every bomb manufacturers coming in etc saying we can do this we can put that we can. and it was very much like no i don't want to do that I, I know how i want it to look and my sort of idea was to go for the really the really sort of exclusive high-end wood manufacturers so people like People like Dennison, like Ebony & Co, those sort of ideas, and yeah. look at what they do. Okay. Look how they sort of deck out the showroom and promote everything and really try and emulate that.
1: Yeah, Phil. And since you opened the shop, um, what do you feel is the biggest investment either financially or even emotionally you've given to the, to, to the shoppers, such as the business?
2: You know what? I think I think the biggest the, the biggest sort of financial investment is the showroom. I, yeah. mean, I mean, you know, it, it takes a while to find the right premises. It wasn't like we're based in Alderley Edge in Cheshire. And, you know, a lot of people have sort of preconceptions about what sort of place Alderley Edge is. And, yeah, don't get me wrong, it, it is very affluent. And that was a big deciding factor in why I came here. but. Yeah also also to be honest with you it was a very good deal on the premises okay uh, now i think obviously sort of initially sort of getting the showroom obviously there's a fair amount of investment just actually getting over the line with you know solicitors and paying six months months up front and all that type of good stuff so there's a fair amount of investment there i came into this premises and it was originally a flower shop and yeah. hadn't been used for probably about eight or nine months. So it was for the first three, four weeks, it was me with a hammer and a crowbar dismantling everything. Yeah, uh, And that was how we started. And it was a case of, you know, again, I had all these fantastic ideas. I remember having a, uh, a lighting guy come round that I've known from sort of previous work and he was like oh it's a fantastic space it's this we can do this led we can do this and he goes i'll look after it'll be a really good price and i think he came back with i mean you know the showroom's not big at all it's probably about 40 square meters okay max and i think he came back with 17 grand for the lighting and it was like right okay yeah i'm sure it'll look absolutely fantastic but That's really not where I am at the moment. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) That's not going to work. So it was a case then of going back and, you know, finding a load of spotlights, et cetera, from B&Q or wherever and getting them in as cheap as possible. So again, I had all these sort of amazing ideas, but you are, there is financial constraints. You can't just sort of plow everything into the showroom because, well, ultimately I don't own it. You know, no, I'm on a no. lease like a lot of other places, et cetera. I think if it was my showroom and I owned it, maybe you'd have a different sort of approach. But I think initially I just took the approach where, you know what, this isn't going to happen overnight. So we're going to we're gonna have to do it in stages. So it's not going to be at a place when we open the doors where it's absolutely perfect and everything is exactly how I want it. It's going to happen over time. Yeah. And I think, to be fair, and I think that's a lot of the emotional side of things as, as well, because you know as well as I do, having your own business, I think I think lots of people look at it when people have their own business and they think, oh, it's fantastic! You can, <laughs> you know, open when you want. You can go and play golf. You can do this. You can do that. But you never have you cash flow issues. Never, never you know. You know, yeah, obviously, yeah, and everything's <laughs> absolutely plain sailing, and old customers are. <laughs> fantastic and everybody pays on time all this and yeah that doesn't happen that's not realistic so I remember sort of like being sad in here sort of in the January in 2018 when we opened the doors and yeah there is a couple of moments where you're thinking crikey what have we done here this is (laughs) you know even though it's not a massive business it's like this is this is a little bit more than I can deal with at the moment. But uh, but you know what? Yeah, yeah I was lucky I think from the previous business that I owned over in alteringham with a business partner. I was lucky that I had a good bank of probably five or six interior designers that I kind of brought brought across with me. Yeah. So it didn't take too long for orders to start coming in. No. And and I think as soon as you got the first couple of orders, it's kind of like okay, right. We can do this. Let's just, let's just keep going. Let's keep going. So I, I, I kind of find that things have a way of working themselves out. And I know that's quite a naive way of looking at things, but I always find that if there's a couple of weeks where it's pretty quiet or you're thinking, well, what's going on here sort of thing, something yep. kind of appears, something yep. kind of happens and you get back on the, you know, you get back on the right track and, yeah as I say I think mm-hmm. you know even going back to when we first sort of set up like the bank account with, with you know I think everybody nowadays they want these huge sort of business plans et cetera and all this kind of thing and it was just like well no I've you know I've sold flooring before I'm in the right area and I know I can do it that's yeah. the business plan I'm oh. not going to make it any more complicated than that that is yeah. what I'm going to do and yeah. we'll we will we will work it out as we go along and that's and that's what you get yeah.
1: that's done. kind of what I've done
2: <laughs> yeah and so if you could give
1: advice to someone that's either out on the tools and thinking of opening a showroom or um that's already you know got a showroom and thinking of doing renovations. So if you could wind the clock back to just before you left or what advice would you give yourself now for if you had to do it all over again from scratch? What would be the you know, couple of bits of advice?
2: You know what and as again i'm not i'm not saying i've got the perfect business model because that, that, i really haven't that sort of thing but i think you've just got to be really clear of what your market is that's the biggest thing you because need- yeah you, and you've yeah. got to have like you say like a usp or something that's different because as you said there's you know within a 10 mile radius of where i am there's umpteen other places that people could go people could use that sell carpet flooring all the rest of it kind of thing but yeah. I kind of still like the fact that I've been here for five years. Sometimes people can walk through the door and they go, well, you know, I live in Ogley. I didn't realize you did flooring. And I I know it sounds stupid, but I kind of like that. I kind of like the fact that I don't look like a flooring shop because that was, as I say, that was never the, that was never the key. And I think, like you say, for advice for some people going forward, it's just trying to, you can't be everything for every customer. If Mm. I have a customer coming in here and, you know, they've been to some online fella selling wood for 25 quid a square meter, you you know, you're in the wrong shop. That's Mm. not what I do. I Mm. can't compete at all. And, you know, within the nicest way possible, I tried to explain that yeah. <laughs> because it's like it's like you say it's like oh like you know it always makes me laugh when, you know when people come in I don't do too many carpets that's not what I do but obviously if there's big jobs knocking around etc I'll try and get involved with it and you know when people come in and say, "Oh well, I've been offered you know free underlay and free fitting," and I'm like, "Oh crikey, no, you haven't." <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> <Yeah>. somewhere <laughs> it's in like, the place. So yeah, I'm like, I'd like them fitters as well because obviously they work for nothing. It's like it doesn't <laughs> add up, and I think that's where I try and be different. You know, there, there is nothing within this showroom that indicates how much your product costs. Yeah. Because I'm from that sort of. I'm from that sort of. Sales environment prior to Antico, where actually showing the price and all the rest of it kind of devalues the product. Yeah. So that's what I don't do. And as I say, I know mm-hmm. some people are going to be not necessarily offended, but 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 put off by that approach. I know that, yeah. but that's okay. As I say, it's so you your niche. And I, exactly, and I think yeah. that goes back to what you say. You can't you can't make everybody happy. You've just got to pick the route that you want to go down. And go for that 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 market it's like you said there's no point selling like you say a 5.99 laminate or a 5.99 vinyl against a 100 quid antico because it's just it's just too much you've just got to stick to what you can do
1: <laughs> yeah well you must have done some really really nice jobs over the over the time so what do you I mean you' probably be account millions but is there any job you can think of that sticks out that is the best work you've done? since you've opened the shop what's what you're most proud of
2: i think there's a there's a few and as i say i mean i mean luckily it's a case of i can't take full credit because obviously when you're dealing with the sort of designers and architects you kind of in a nice way you kind of get told how it's going to look and what they're trying to achieve so it's a different sales pattern if you want because you're actually not trying to help the client they've kind of They've kind of already been instructed or advised on what kind of look they're trying to go for. So it's a case of you know let's make let's not make things more confusing than it needs to be. If somebody comes in for a and they want a wide plank floor and they want it in fluorescent yellow, then it's like right, you can have it in fluorescent yellow. You, it's not me to to say you can't or anything yeah. else like that. That's what you want sort of thing. But but no, I mean th- th- there has been a couple of jobs. There's been a couple of. Like you say, areas and projects where I know there is only a handful of people in the country that could probably do it. And I don't mean physically sell it. I mean have the backup support from the suppliers to be able to offer the product that they're interested in. Like the one that springs to mind, we did uh, it's probably about four hundred square meters or there or thereabouts of a five hundred mil wide board that have fixed lengths of up to 12 meter long. Wow. Now they're the sort of things that you can't get that off the internet yeah. <laughs> and you, and again, and it's no disrespect to other companies, but you know, you can't go to have Woods or Ted Todd and ask for that because no. it's not on the shelf. Therefore it's not possible. So again, I think they're the sort of products that I, they're the sort of projects, sorry, that I'm most proud of the ones that, like you say, it's different and it's super of sets exclusive you apart.
1: to you. That, yeah, that's yeah, you, can't, yeah, that you exactly. really can't find, but uh,
2: exactly, exactly,
1: brilliant. So, um, a bit of a negative swing to the podcast, but <clears throat> what is the biggest mistake you've ever made and <laughs> you won't do again?
2: I think the biggest mistake. Oh, It is a mistake, but it's where I've had the most, I find the hardest thing with having a a showroom like myself, it's the actual selling of the product is pretty straightforward. Now, you're only as good as your fitters and the people that you've got out there every day, they're the ones that the client's seeing all the time. They're the ones that the client's having more of a dialogue with. And I'll be totally honest with you. Initially, I've been stung a lot by bad fitters. Okay. Now, obviously, the jobs have all, not so much in terms of luckily the actual standard of the fitting, but just their general, you know, timekeeping and everything else, which I know every yeah. business goes through and it's difficult. But I think in the past two or three years, I've got a really good team around me where I know that. They're the sort of team that if there's an issue on site, and let's be honest, there always is. Nothing's plain sailing. Nothing's dead straightforward. It's not one of these ones where they're calling me every five minutes going, shall I do this? Shall I do that? What about this? Can we do that? I can't do this. They, they're good enough to just overcome whatever issue it is in front of them and say, this is what happened, but we managed to get around it by doing da 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 da, da. Yep. that's what I want. I'm not a fitter. Okay. I've had no experience with fitting. I understand the theory of it. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. understand yeah. what needs to be done, but I wouldn't even know, you know, how to turn a chop saw on. That's not what I do. That's yeah. not, and it doesn't interest me. So it's been finding the right people that I can trust on these big exclusive sites with, you know, with the sort of, the people that have got a bit of money that expect that
1: level of service,
2: ex- yeah. Yeah. And that's been the hard bit. That's yeah. been the that's been the negative part because I think I'm sort of quite an easygoing guy. I'm not one of these people that wants confrontation or anything like that. And when you're getting let down by your fitters or the team, etc., it does it makes it very, very difficult. And you start questioning, mm-hmm. Am I doing this right? Should we be doing it this way? And yeah, I just say we've had a couple of hiccups on the way, but we've managed to we've managed to get get through it all.
1: <laughs> and, and what have you put in place commercially to to find the right fitters? Because the main thing I hear from retailers, contractors is just trying to find skilled labour. What have you put in place to find the right team, uh, and what what protocols you use to bank a new team if you could find one?
2: I think I I, I think initially I think the main company i deal with with wood is a company called sylvan that are based down in Leicester. absolutely fantastic products absolutely perfect everything's great now i was very lucky as when i was on a bit of a downward spiral should we say with fitters and that sort of side of things they kind of stepped in and said, "Have you spoke to these guys? Have you spoke to this person? What about this guy?" And they were really helpful. And I think one, when, once I got that sort of confirmation from Sylvan saying, "You know, we use these guys. We've used this fellow in the past, so they understand the sort of level of service that you're trying to achieve." It made it all a lot easier. And I'll be honest, it was one of these things where I think, again, from a business point of view, you're always trying to find fitters that are you know not i wouldn't say cheap that's that's the wrong word but no. you know ones that sort of give you a price for a job or a per square meter price or a day rate or whatever that you think right that's okay cuz you know i can put my margin on that and roll happy and i think i was concentrating too much on trying to really sort of make unnecessary profits margins etc on the fitting okay. whereas once i sort of stepped back and said you know what this is going to cost me an extra 10, 15 quid a square meter, but it's gonna be done right. And yeah. it, all of a sudden it's like, you know, as long as obviously you price the jobs correctly, it's a, just a big weight off my shoulder. Cause yeah. as I say, that's what I don't want. I'm not a huge company. That's not what yeah. we are. I haven't got the luxury of having a contracts manager or somebody who goes, yeah, you're going there, you're doing this, you're doing that, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's me. It's and as I say, yeah. I, I, I still, I, you know, there's no way I'm perfect or anything stupid like that. It, it's a case of, you know, you still make mistakes all the time. But I feel as though I've got the right team around me now that we can sort anything out. And it's not as big a issue as sometimes I make it out to be in my head. No. <laughs> yeah. so, if you, so if you had a
1: crystal ball, where do you hope um, Atelier B is going to be in five years' time? What What's next for you guys?
2: Well, I think we've got to that point at the moment where we've been going for what well, it'll be five years, I think in September, so only another month or so. And it's that sort of time period where, you know, you've seen the sort of growth because, you know, you started from zero yeah. <laughs> and it's, and, it, and, and now you're at that point where, well, I'm at that point where it's like, okay, now what, what, what do we do to sort of try, take it to the, to the next level sort of thing? And, be more on all the designers' lips, etc. Saying, you know, we've got to use them. We need to use them. Da, 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 da. That's where I'm trying to get to. And I mean, without sort of divulging too much, I am speaking to people at the moment where there's hopefully a plan again to take it to that next step where I've got more support around me, Yeah. and I will be hopefully part of a bigger entity which okay. takes the pressure off me slightly yeah. so yeah i mean ultimately i'm a salesman yeah so i'm one of those people that it's fantastic when you get the new orders in and you think yeah that's great i've worked you know a couple of months on that or whatever it may be but then it's very very quickly where it's like oh now what what's next yeah. that's 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 I my that. mentality yeah because you get you get really excited about everything and you then, then then you know you get to the point where everything's a go and all the rest of it and then it's like oh right okay that that was great but now what so yeah, yeah. i i think i've just gotta and i think that, that that's down to me i've got to learn to sort of keep being proactive keep speaking to these people keep doing <laughs> as much as i can i think that's yeah. That's that was a lot easier initially when you didn't have a load of jobs on. Obviously, now you've got jobs on all the time. Sometimes it is more difficult to spend that time to keep everything moving forward. But yeah, I I I think I I don't think I'm one of these people that thinks right. I want you know four shops throughout the UK, and we're going to. That's I I don't want that because I think I don't necessarily think opening up multiple shops means you increase turnover. Well, you've increased, mm-hmm. increased profit. I think increased in headaches as well. Exactly. It's just <laughs> going to be more of a hassle times two. And you're thinking, do I want that? But, but no, I, I, I just see this place as, I think we've got a good standing now within the designers that we use. Luckily, they generally keep wanting to reuse me and the products that mm-hmm. I sell. So it's a case of, expanding that bank of designers that I've got. Like I always said sort of thing, I think if I can get to a point where I've got, so let's say 20, 25 designers that use me, that those, these are the sort of designers, they might not only have sort of one or two jobs a year, yeah. but that's 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 fine. That's fine because they're the nice jobs. And it's, again, this isn't to say that if Mr. and Mrs. Smith walk through the door and they've got a little hallway, I'm not gonna say no, I don't do that. That's, no. I'm not saying that. But I'm more geared up to, you know, having plans sent through me and it's 400 square metres of herringbone. And it's like, right, okay, this is what we can do. That's more where I see us continuing to move forward.
1: Yeah, And the personal interaction, it seems to, I mean, I've got a question here, sort of what gets you out of bed as such. But from what I'm taking from this is it's the, again, the sales side of it, the interaction, the, the dealing with Nick is to me is what drives you. If you got six shops or you did this, you did that, that is diluted massively. You suddenly got a new headache, but completely get that. It's dealing face to face with people or interaction. I think that's the the best way I was, it can be in business. Yeah,
2: I, I because I think and again, this isn't to say I'm the best thing since sliced bread or the best salesman or anything like that, but I kind of that's the part i kind of like being on control of and i think i'd find it very very difficult to say yes we're going to employ a showroom manager on whatever sort of money they would want and because they're never going to have the drive or the motivation that i would have with it being my own business they're doing it as a job and i understand you know that, that that's maybe being disrespectful to a lot of people sort of thing and it's not meant to be at all but I, I, I can't see how they could get as behind or motivated than the owner of the shop.
1: I, I think all business owners think that, all business owners, there is no one else, or unless you're incredibly lucky, there is no one else better or more enthusiastic to do like your own role, unless yeah. you know, you're moving in a certain direction. That's what your business wants to do, where you're going to have to get people to do the smaller tasks and stuff. But if the driving factor and you sort of, your values and everything is around a personal service and dealing with you, well, why change something that's not broken? Because it's like, you know, to find that... Well,
2: I I kind of like saying as well, like you say, I think when when I start talking to somebody, whoever it may be, it's the case of I'm the point of contact for everything. Yeah. It's not that I'm going to sort of, you know, pass you on to somebody else in the office once the selling part's done. It's me all the way along. And hope, fully that to some of the people that I'm deal with that that that's a that's a benefit that's an advantage
1: if you're spending x amount of money on 400 square meters of 500 wide you know 12 meter boards or, or whatever they are um you've got to have complete certainty the person stood in front of you is not going to let you down, you know. It's you know, never mind a yeah. three meter hallway, yeah. whatever for Mrs. Jones. But you know, when it's projects of that thing, whoever's paying the bill or whoever's recommending to pay the bill, I would say, once complete certainty that they're getting exactly what they asked for. Um, exactly, yeah, yeah no, exactly. Funny. Fab. Well, what we're gonna do now is a bit of fun. Uh, it's just a quick fire round to get people to know a bit about you. Um, so little short answers um and then maybe a little explanation why if you feel it's necessary Uh, um so we're gonna go with i'm gonna change it round uh five guys or dominoes five guys like it um sunbathing (laughs) or skiing and why uh
2: uh, you know what uh, is that a hard one well, the only reason being, it's like I kind of like being in the sun, but equally I'm fair skinned so it's not kind of like very au Yeah, you know, it kind of doesn't really go hand in hand. But skiing, I used to love, but my wife isn't the massive, isn't a massive fan, to be fair. So I haven't done that for absolutely years. I'm going to go sunbathing. Right, I'm, I'm going to go sunbathing. <laughs> uh, beer or wine? This is a good one. I don't drink, so uh, let's, go, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Let's go, vimto
1: vimto love it mate. is that the go-to drink when you go out vimto
2: <laughs> you know what it's probably one of the only things where you know like when you go shopping or whatever sort of thing it's probably the only thing that if my wife goes or whatever sort of thing it's probably the only thing that is always in the basket so yeah that is my go-to thing definitely and especially because <laughs> they've just bought out Vimto lollies which are fantastic is not a plug for Vimto, by the way but they are very good <laughs>
1: if um if you go to a wedding or you go to a like a really nice meal with with your wife, what would you drink?
2: I might have a gin and tonic, oh. but I mean, uh, but but as I say, that's like honestly, I can probably get order a gin and tonic at like half seven at night and still be sort of nursing it and sipping it at half ten. <laughs> so it's kind of a complete waste of money and, a, and completely irrelevant. But I think sometimes I don't want to feel left out, so I'll order a gin and tonic because I found that's the that's the easiest one, and it's, a, it's not some—it's not some moral thing that I don't drink. It's just like no. I don't like the taste. It's as no. simple as that. I don't like the taste, so yeah, gin and tonic you can i can kind of get away with.
1: <laughs> so, so if you're in a Michelin-star restaurant in in Alderley Edge or somewhere or Wilmslow or something like that, and probably not the best drink to go—you know, your wife orders the house white, and you just say a pint of Vimto, please
2: yeah that'd be that'd be yeah 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 i've, I've done that before so yes definitely yeah.
1: um
2: in if you're building your dream
1: house um plank or herringbone and why
2: you know what i think everything we've done for the past four or five years seems to have been herringbone uh and i i have actually got herringbone throughout my house as in like bedrooms and everything right but i think if we were doing it If we were building a house and the idea of how I would actually want that house to look, I would go for planks.
1: Brilliant, And on that sort of subject, if you won 10 million tonight, what (laughs) would you do with it? And would you continue and how would you continue?
2: I think it's one of those things. I think it's very easy to say, yes, I continue, but no, I probably wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think I would buy a couple of houses in different parts of the world and spend my time going around those. But then, you see, 10 million, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a huge amount of money, but it, it, depending on what sort of lifestyle you had, you could only sort of keep it going for so long. Yeah. Uh, I, I, th- I think I maybe would still keep the shop on, but obviously then I would be employing someone yeah. just to keep yeah then I wouldn't be here at that half uh, seven on a Monday morning worrying where the fitters were that I wouldn't be doing that
1: no <laughs> but if you could you would keep it on and just keep it then you could get well uh, you
2: know what um, I, th- I think it's something that it, it, it it's strange and it's maybe made me realize more in the conversations I've had with certain businesses over the last couple of months or so it's I am proud of this place and it does mean something, and it—it it, it, is an emotional attachment, attachment that I don't know. You can't kind of describe, etc. But it's mine, and it's yeah. like you know, I, I going. I love the way that. People go, why have you called it Atelier B? What's that got to do with everything? And it's like, it's got nothing to do with anything. It's got nothing <laughs> to do with anything. It just seemed kind of quite nice when I came across the word and what it meant in French and all that type of good stuff. And I didn't want to call it Nick's Floors or anything stupid like that. I didn't want to have flooring in the title by anywhere. Yeah. And again, I think there's probably a lot of people that you know are far, far more intelligent than me that do marketing and all this type of thing that go, that's stupid. But you know
1: what? It works for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, uh, it it suits its environment. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, exactly. And once you've won this ten million that we're talking about, what are you a car guy? What car would you buy, or what cars, or what would you roll about in on a daily basis?
2: I think. Uh... I mean, that's one of the benefits of being where I am, based on the high street in Oldley Edge. Especially when the, you know all yeah. the little private schools that are knocking around, it's uh, it's quite nice in the morning watching them all go past. But I tell you what, there was a client that we had, probably one of the first orders I ever got, and I remember they had a, nothing to do with us, but he had a leak in the garage and he wanted me to have a look at it to see if it, see how it was affecting the floor and if there's anything we could do, sort of thing. Yeah. And he had a proper Original Aston Martin DB5, James Bond, silver, everything, wow. and it was just like, wow, that's so. Yeah, I think I'd be far more likely to go for something like that. As a, you know, Lamborghinis, mm. Ferraris, very nice, but yeah. I, I, they don't do much for me. To be fair,
1: you see them every day. It's uh, on the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: they're just a little bit too sort of in your face, and I don't necessarily think that's what I am. I think I'd prefer to be a bit, a bit more. I don't know, understated, shall we say.
1: (laughs) Brilliant, excellent. And finally, the last one, um, mash, roasties or chips? Mash, all day long. Love it. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) Right, um, so Nick, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, For our listeners, uh, I probably already know the answer to this, but where is the best place to find Atelier B? Instagram yeah and what 100%. is your handle is it literally just
2: it's it's actually by atelier b so by and then atelier b that is again i find i, I just find instagram fantastic i think because i'm one of these people that even though i've waffled on with you quite a lot today i prefer pictures than words uh, yeah. words don't i if somebody you know writes a massive post on facebook or whatever i'm not going to read that i just want to think that's a nice picture i'll like it crack yeah. on with your day that's where i think instagram works really well
1: for me i completely agree we've done hours or days of research of um paid ads for facebook paid ads for instagram different postings i mean instagram's all going towards video now they're just really setting up for video um but i can't put my hand on it i really still and we you know we run social media for people we do all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff with social media but the clientele on Facebook and the clientele on Instagram are completely, like they couldn't be any far different. Only high level, um, different standard of clients. Again, it doesn't matter if it's the highest standard for the six square meter lounge, uh, sorry, hallway, or the 400 square meters, they seem to hide on Instagram. And then everyone wants the bigger chain stores, the free fit in, everything they hide on facebook and you would think well most people have facebook and most people have instagram but when you're running ads or when you're running really looking into the um statistics on it um i've never seen a company being able to get high value jobs from facebook and other platforms linkedin's a bit different for commercial and stuff but but as two platforms that are very similar instagram i would completely be on your side of the fence if you're looking for high-end residential clients they are hiding on instagram um so, 100%, 100%. so the more you interact the more you <clears throat> embrace that and then the more we embrace um videos and then i think it'll go to vr eventually um but that's you know i think we're well not there yet but it's uh but yeah videos 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 on on, on Insta?
2: Well, I, I, I think... I was having a little look the other day sort of thing. and Honestly, I think I've got over 500 square metres of orders this year of supply only on Instagram. Yeah. Which, again, supply only, obviously, a breeze. Fantastic. That's easy. And I think it's something that... It gives me the opportunity to get into geographical markets that otherwise I would have no chance. Yeah. So... I'm all for it. All for it. Brilliant. Fab, well,
1: thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Nick. It's, uh, it's really been great having you on.
2: Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Woodflock Podcast. I've been your host, Tom. If you'd like to find out more information about what we do, you can visit our website at cockrelandco.co.uk. That's cockrel and co.co.uk we also have an instagram account which is cockrell and co and also we are on facebook once again don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we look forward to seeing you here again soon